Well, I want to welcome all of you here as well, our campuses, to the sixth message in our seven-part series entitled Transform. If you haven't been around here the last uh, little over a month, we are in a seven-week series, and we're looking at the seven key areas of our lives that we believe in God for transformation in 2015. Week one, we looked at spiritual transformation. Again, I want to encourage you, if you missed any of the weeks at all of our campuses, you can get CDs on the way out. We looked at spiritual transformation. Week two, we looked at physical health physical transformation. Week three, we looked at mental health. I want to encourage you, a lot of good feedback on that. What does the Bible say about mental health? Week four, emotional health. Again, a lot of feedback on that. Uh, that message really helped a lot of people. Last weekend, relational health. Today, I want to talk to you about financial health. We have two more weeks left. I want to talk to you about financial health, and next week is vocational health. If you have your Bible, I'm going to ask you to open up to Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. I want to teach today out of a parable. A parable is a story uh, that has a biblical, a moral, spiritual principles in it. Jesus taught by way of parables. I want to talk to you about the parable of the shrewd manager today. It's interesting as we begin to dive into this topic, talking about finances and stewardship. It's interesting, if you've ever done a study in the Bible, there's 500 verses on prayer in the Bible. That's what they have, 500 verses on prayer. 500 verses on heaven and hell. 2,350 verses on finances, stewardship, and possessions. Isn't that interesting? God talked a lot about Jesus. Let me tell you, it's all through the Bible. 16 out of the 38 verses in the Bible are on finances, stewardship, and possessions. Now, why is, it, why is it like that? Because, I mean, you know, money touches every area of our lives. And here's what I found. If we don't manage money God's way, money will manage us. And how I many know that's not good? <laughs> we want to learn how to manage it God's way. Now, I've never taught out of Luke 16. I've referenced it. I've never taught the whole parable before. It's a very interesting parable, and I wrote a couple things down. The reason why it's so profound is this passage. In this passage, it appears that Jesus is approving of dishonesty, because you're going to see that in here. He's not. He just uses a clever crook as the hero of the story. I think it does. He teaches it by way of shock value here, because it's really a story, if you follow with me, on financial health. All right, Luke chapter 16, and by the way, this is the notes that are in your bulletin. I encourage you to follow along. You can get a binder uh, in the bookstore and all of our campuses so that you can keep these. All right, Luke chapter 16, the parable of the shrewd manager. Luke chapter 16, let's read verse 1 to 8. Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager, now if you have the New King James Bible, this is NIV, if you have the New King James Bible, that word there would be steward. It means the same thing, a steward or a manager is somebody that has been given responsibility to manage over something that is owned by someone else, all right? Whose manager or steward was accused of wasting his possessions, verse 2. So he called him in and asked him, what is this that I hear about you? Give an account of your management. That's going to become an important point in a moment because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do? My master has taken away my job and I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. 
ah, I've got an idea. I know what I'll do. When I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. And now watch what I'll do. Verse 5. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. And he asked the first, how much do you owe my master? Verse 6. 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down, and make it out for 450. Yeah, no longer 900. Just cut it in half. Just 450. Then he asked the second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it out, make it out for 800. Yeah, let, let's do that. Let me cut a deal with you. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. Now listen, this is very important. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. Oh, isn't that interesting? Now when you read this, the first eight verses or so, it's, it's interesting because, because you see here that there is, a, there is a shrewd manager or steward, New King James Version, and, and it's a very strange parable. The next verses, Jesus picks up and he gives us deeper insight. By the way, whenever he teaches by way of parable, he would often teach a kind of a cursory overview and then he would go to another level. So we're getting ready to go to another level. Or as they would say in South Mississippi, we're fixing to go deeper. Come on, how many know? We're fixing, all right. Verse 9 to 13, watch how Jesus unpacks this at a deeper level. This is really profound. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. I'm going to explain that as well. Verse 10, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, now this is important, there is a connection in the Bible with how we steward our resources and the true riches, spiritual maturity. There's, there's a connection in here. We cannot get away from this in the Bible. If you've not been trustworthy uh, tr in, in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true witches? Verse 12. And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? Verse 13. No one, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Notice Jesus doesn't say you should not serve both God and money. He says you can't. It's impossible. You cannot serve both God and money. There's only two gods. There's not three. There's not four. Hindus believe there's millions of millions. Not, that's not true. There's only two gods. There's God, Jehovah God, and there's money. There's only two. There's God, and, and Jesus is real clear here. He says, you can't serve them both. Now, I, I want to go on record saying this. I've taught this 15 years, as long as I've pastored this church. Money is a wonderful tool, but a lousy God. I want to say it again. Money is a wonderful tool to walk in the blessing of God, to help your family. You see, see money, it all depends on whose hands it's in and the heart of the person that has the money. So, so money is a wonderful tool. It's just a lousy God. So here's what I want to do. I want to talk to you about four things that we learn right out of this parable about money. And then I want to talk about, at the end of the message, four daily reminders. Again, we're talking about financial health in 2015. I'm going to ask for a show of hands. I've done this every week at all of our campuses. How many of you 
would, are, are believing for in 2015 to walk in a whole new level of financial health? Come on, raise your hand. I'm raising mine too. Okay, you came to the right message. You came to the right series. I want to talk to you out of a very obscure, interesting parable. I want to talk to you about how that we can gain financial health in 2015. Four things that we learn about money straight out of this parable. I'm just going to go verse by verse. You guys ready? Say yes. All right, here we go. Number one, it's very clear that Jesus says, number one, don't waste it. Don't waste it. Look at verse two. Luke chapter 16, verse two. So he called him in and he asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management. The first thing that we see about money in this parable is what we see is this manager was accused of wasting his owner's resources. We do not, you and I do not have a right just to go around, even if you think it's your money, it's not your money, it's God's money. And we don't have a right just to do whatever we want. We ought to ask God. We need wisdom. We need to pray about it. We need to see what the Bible says about it. Why is that? Because in this story, in this parable, the steward, New King James, the manager, other translate, the person that's managing, he's managing something that belongs to someone else. And the first thing that we see here is that there, there, there's an imperative, there's an admonishment in Scripture here that we are not to waste what God gives us. Number two. So number one, we're not to waste it, but number two, we're not to love it. We're not to love it. The Scripture encourages us to not love money. We don't love it. We don't live for it. We can enjoy it. We, we can enjoy it. And the Bible is replete with example where it says that God gives us all things richly to enjoy. But there's a difference of enjoying money versus loving money. Do, do you understand that? We enjoy the blessings of God, but we don't worship them. We worship the one and true God. Very, very important. Look what it says in verse 13. There's only two masters. It's very clear. In all of society, all of, uh, the, the hall of culture, by the way, this fall I'm going to be teaching out of the book of Revelation. Pray for me, all right? And uh, I'm going to be teaching about the Babylonian system that controls our culture straight out of the book of Revelation. There's only two gods, and we see that in fullness in the, in the last book of the Bible. Here's what it says, Luke 16, 13. No one can serve two masters. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve. I cannot serve both God and money. You ever try to work for two bosses? It's not, it doesn't work. You ever work for a company where there's not clear lines and delineation of who you're to report to? It's very tough, right? Internally, there's always this, this, this internal dichotomy. Well, I don't know what's going on. Well, it's the same way with us. We can't serve both. It's, there's a divided allegiance there. It's not very good at all. In our lives, we've got to, we've got to settle who, who, is, who is number one. So, so, so we have to understand from this parable, number one, we don't waste it. Everybody say, don't waste it. Number two, say, don't love it. Now, let me give you number three. This parable is clear that we are not to trust it either. So we don't waste it. We don't love it but we don't trust money for our security. And I don't care how much money you have. I don't care how much money. It's all relative, all right? You with me? If you're in Africa and you're walking, how many of you know if you get a bike, that's prosperity? Are you, it's all relative, all right? So don't put a dollar figure on it. It's, it's, the reality is, is that, that we see the manager here. The manager learns pretty quickly in verse 3, what shall I do now? Watch this. My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. How many of you know, how many of you know, Every single person on this planet, there is the possibility at any given time, you can lose your money. 
You can lose it. I mean, those of you that live through 08, 09, I mean, you can, you can lose your money. There is no security. There's no security in earthly resources. Now, this is very, very important. Our security, and by the way, I'm going to tell you at the end of the, this message, God is an advocate for us to do savings. And there is a concept of growing wealth biblically that is in the Bible. God wants you to grow wealth biblically, but he doesn't want you and I to have our security in worldly wealth. He wants our security to be in God, because if you lose it, if you're trusting God, God will give it back to you. Are you with? That's very important. Our security is not in our investments. Our security is in the God who gives us the wisdom and the ability to invest. There's a big, 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 big difference there. Proverbs 23, 5, your money can be gone in a flash as if it had grown wings and has flown away like an eagle. The, 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 the scripture teaches, and I'm an advocate in the scripture as I read the Bible, that we are to invest, that we are to 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 invest wisely for the future. But our security and our trust is not in our investments. Our trust is in God who gives us the power to invest. All right, everyone say, don't waste it. Say, don't love it. Don't trust it. Now, let me give you number four. Don't expect it to satisfy. Money's not going to fulfill you. It, it really won't. Again, there's nothing wrong with it. We can enjoy it. But if you're looking for the acquisition of resources and things to fulfill you. The more you have, the more you want. Somebody asked Howard Hughes, all right? One time, how much money does it take to make a man happy? And here's what he said, just a little more. Isn't that, I mean, isn't that what the scripture teaches though? It's just a little more. If it's your goal, see, to enjoy what God gives you and is a lot different than to focus on, on money, to, to focus. If I just get that, then I'll be happy. If I just get that, then I'll, but all of us know that there's a hole in our heart that only God can fulfill. Only God can meet. Ecclesiastes 5.10, without whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. It's the person that loves it. Now hang with me, all right? I'm going to bring you all throughout the Old and New Testament in this scripture because I'm going to try to give you a holistic biblical approach to financial health. Luke 12, 15, watch out. Be on guard against all kinds of greed because life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Yourself, listen. Your self-worth should not be based upon your net worth. It shouldn't. I understand one of the questions people have, you know, how much you're worth. And what that means in our culture is what is your financial, you know, if you take your debts away, your liabilities, and your, you know, and then you got your assets, liabilities, and it's, okay, what is your net? I understand that. And then I think there's a right and, and an appropriate level of, of understanding where we are financially. The Bible says, look, know the state of your flocks, all right? That's a financial scripture, by the way. So, so, so we believe that's biblical. However, your, listen, your net worth does not determine your self-worth. Because your self-worth should be based on, you are valuable to God independent of what your net worth is. You're valuable to God because Christ died on the cross for you. You're valuable to God because God has chosen you and called you and marked you and filled you with his spirit. And he's given you divine purpose and intentionality and an assignment on this planet. So you have to understand that your self-worth should not be based upon your net worth. It's very interesting when you begin to unpack this whole thing, how people get the price tag switch and they begin to think that they're worth. And what happens is if your net worth goes down and your self-worth is attached to it, you feel terrible. Isn't that right? And you feel, and you feel ashamed. You know, oh, what's wrong with me? Wait, time out. Let's, let's get our value system straight. We enjoy what God gives us, but our value is not attached to what we have. Our 
value is attached to who has us. Do we belong to God? All right, everyone say, don't waste it. Don't what? Don't love it? Say it. Don't trust it. Don't expect it to satisfy. All right, let's talk about four things God wants us to remember every day about money before we close. Here's what I believe. If you act on this, if you live by this, I believe stress is going to be de decreased in, in our lives in 2015. I'm looking for stress to decrease in my life. <clears throat> That's what I'm looking for. I'm not looking for an increase in stress. I'm looking for a decrease in stress. Very, very important. Four things every day. We, I believe, need to wake up in 2015 and remind ourselves, because it's from, the, it's from the Bible. Number one, it all belongs to God. Here it is. Can you say that with me? The count of three, one, two, three. It all belongs to God. Very, very important biblical concept. The universe belongs to God. Everything belongs to God. The cattle on a thousand hills belong to God. Psalms 24, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Listen, everything that we have belongs to God. Now, now I'm going to get real personal here. Your talent, your gifts, your relationships, your opportunity, it all belongs to God. Everything that we have belongs to God. Are you with me? Your talent is on loan from God. It's really God's talent, and God has given it to you. Your relationship, your children, yes, in the sense God has given you stewardship over them. Absolutely. And we should diligently steward what God gives us, right? But ultimately, it belongs to God. And that's such a freeing concept once you understand that, because once you understand this, is that God is the owner and we are the managers. Now, I'm going to diligently manage what God gives me, but God's the owner. Don't, don't, don't get that confused. Look what it says right here in verse, in verse uh, the first verse. Very, very important. This is a freeing concept. And by the way, if you take Crown Financial, we've had 4,000 adults in our church take Crown. I encourage you. It's really the philosophy of life. This is the most powerful concept. It is a freeing concept. Is that God owns it all, and you're a manager of everything that you have. You're not the owner. You're the manager. All right? Very first verse. There was a rich man who's manager, who's steward. God and us. The word for manager here, again, can be interpreted as steward. It means to take care of another's property, which leads us all to this question. How well are you and I taking care of God's property? Number one, our bodies. Our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. If God by his spirit lives in our body, how, I mean, we ought to be taking care of it. How well are you taking care of the relationships that God has given you? How, how well are you taking care of, uh, watch this, how well are you taking care of the job that God's given you? How well are you taking care of the gifts and the talents? <clears throat> how, how well are you taking care of everything that God's given you? Now, let me tell you why. Let me tell you what happened in my life. <clears throat> in my mind and in my understanding, you got to remember, I work for the church. So I don't own the church. Now, some pastors may think they do, but how many know that's not good? I work for the church. I serve you guys. So I work for you. I serve the Lord and I serve you. Okay, now watch this. So I have an understanding. And by the way, that really helped me when we were in our, when we were in our building campaign and the recession was happening. Because in the end of the day, if you think that you own it, all the pressure's on you. That's good preaching. I don't care if you shout it or not. That's really good. <laughs> 2010, there was a switch in my mind. I'm like, God, this is on you. You told us to do this. This thing's on you. CC is like, if you're the owner, all the pressure's on you. Again, I'm not advocating passivity. People can say a lot of things about me, but I'm not passive. Very proactive, all right? Now watch this. Here's the problem with men and women that own businesses today. Here's the problem. 
you think just because your name's on it, you think that you own it. You don't own it. God owns it. God has given you stewardship over that. Are you with me? Don't ever forget that. Everybody say God's the owner. That is the most freeing concept. Your mind is owned by God. Are you stewarding it well? What junk are you putting in God's mind? God has given each one of us a little portion of his kingdom to steward after. Uh, the relationships in your life, the opportunities in your life, the giftings in your life. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, this is the most powerful. It is the beginning point of understanding biblical stewardship that God owns it all. Can you say it one more time? Say it. God owns it all. I am to diligently steward what God gives me, but I'm not the owner, I'm the manager. All right, number two. See, that's a daily reminder. You ought to wake up, write it on your mirror, do whatever. God owns it all. I'm the manager, all right? Number two. God is using money to test me. God is using money to test us. Very, very powerful. God tests us in life in a, in a, in a number of different ways. And one of the things I found out from Scripture and is walking with Christ for 27 years is one of the ways that God tests us, it is with resources. And by the way, life is a test. Do you know that this is just a warm-up? Do you all know that this that earth is just a warm-up? It really is. I mean, eternity is a long time. Just meditate on that. I know people, you know, medical science has got people to the place where, you know, people are living 100 years or 110. You know, my grandma's, I think she's 98. I mean, she's just, she's just keeping, keeping going. And, uh, but I don't care if you live 110 years. What is that in light of eternity? So here's the point. What are you and I going to be doing in eternity? What are we going to be doing? We're going to be worshiping God, but I'm going to tell you what we're also going to be doing. We're also going to be having an assignment based upon what we've done for God and with what God's given us in the here and now. Now, that's in the book of Revelation. I'm going to teach you guys this fall. It's very, very, very exciting. But we're not going to be in heaven just floating around naked, feet like a Gerber baby throwing grapes to one another. I'm just telling you, that, that's not. No, you have a job in heaven. The only difference in heaven is there's no sin. And one of the ways that God grows us and matures us is how we handle money. Life is a test. And by the way, the point of a test is not just a test. The point of the test is promotion. When you go through a test, the point is not, I made it. Hmm. No, it's Okay, there's promotion, right? So you take tests, you go on in school. Fifth grade, you make your test, sixth grade. So, so, so life, life, and God has always tests us. And one of the greatest ways God tests us is with money. Very, very important. You ever put the connection together? This parable puts the connection together. And God invites us in one area. This is so profound. I don't want anybody to miss this. There's one area, there's one thing in the Bible where God actually invites us. Do you know what a double-edged sword is? A double-edged sword is where it's blades on both sides. Isn't that right? Now, not all swords are double-edged. Sometimes, listen, well, all the time God tests us, but there's one scripture and concept in the Bible that's a double-edged sword. It's, it's the only place in the Bible where, watch this, where God is testing us and simultaneously God tells us to test him. It's the only place in the Bible, Malachi 3.10. Do you remember? Y'all remember that? Come on, 70s. The only place in the Bible. Remember this. God is using money to test us. And the very first place that God tests us with money is, what are we going to do with this concept right here? The Bible says, bring the whole tithe. Everyone say tithe. It's the Hebrew word masar, and it literally means a tenth. When you get paid, it's a test. Every time you get paid, it's a test, according to the Bible. When increase comes, you bring the whole tithe 
into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. So God says, what you do with money, and the very first test that he says is, what you do with that first 10%, do you give it to me? But watch this, it's a simultaneous test. Now here's this, and there may be food in my house, and test me. Everyone say, test me. Who's he talking about? God says, when you listen, I'm testing you, but I want you to simultaneously test me. I don't know if you guys know how profound that is in the Bible. That is profound. Do you remember you grew up as kids? Don't test the Lord. You're right, except in one thing. One thing. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse and then it'll be food in my house. Your first 10%, boom, you bring it to God. That's a test. God is testing us. Every time you get paid, remember, it's a beep. It's a test. But God says, listen, while I'm testing you, I want you to test me. God invites us to test him. Test me now in this, said the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not what? What's the next part? Throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out such blessing that there do not be room enough to receive it. And by the way, we believe the Bible teaches the blessing of God doesn't just, it's not just relegated to finances, it's every part of our lives. God is using money to test us. I'm testing you, God says, but I want you to test me. I invite you to test me. And I encourage you guys, I encourage you to step out in 2015. Some of you have never tithed before, but pastor, I'm scared. Listen, I know that, but how many of you know we need to step out and trust God? I've heard people say this before. You know what? I'm going to start tithing when I win the lottery. How many of you know if you can't tithe 10, 10 cents on a dollar, you're never going to tithe a million on 10 million? Are you, it's just, you, you've got to step out. Everyone say step out. Money tests two things. It tests two things. Money shows what we love and trust the most. It really does. How we spend our money reveals to God and everybody else what we love most. Whatever you love most is what you're going to give your time and your money to. Look at somebody's calendar. Look at their iPhone. Look where they've been. Look at their checkbook. What they spend their time on is what they love most. What they invest in was what they love most. And by the way, your heart, here it is. Watch this. Your heart, your heart, it's like a drone. Your heart always follows your money. It follow wherever, wherever your money goes, wherever you put your money, it's like if you invest in a stock, you want to make sure that that thing's going up, right? Or whatever you invest, that, and that's appropriate, right? So you're evaluating, but at the same time, you're a heart. Ultimately, where, where is your heart? What's this verse right here? Matthew 6, 19, don't store up treasures here on earth. I'm going to give the balance here in a second. Don't store up treasures here on earth, store up treasures in heaven. Wherever your treasure is there, the desires of your heart will be also. Wherever you want your heart to be, put your money there. But Pastor Steve, are we supposed to, I mean, are, are we supposed to save for the future or are we supposed to just give everything away? Well, the issue is we save for the future and grow our wealth, but our heart should always be for the kingdom of God. Can I have a big amen right there? You, you have to understand what the scripture is teaching here. The scripture is teaching that our heart should never be attached ultimately to this earth. Our heart should always be attached to the kingdom because your hundred year life is not that long. It's not that long. You're going to be living in heaven for eternity if you're a believer in Jesus. All right. So money tests two things. Money shows what we love and trust the most. But let me tell you, here's the other side of the coin. Our money management, whoa, don't miss this. This is in the Bible. It's in the Bible, all right? Our money management shows us if God can trust us. Wow. Look at verse 11 and 12. And by the way, I've taught exegetically straight, I just, it's, ex, it's called expository. I've just gone straight down, straight down, every verse by verse. Look at verse 11 here. So if you've not been trustworthy, and handling worldly wealth. Wow, this is a pretty unique co connection here. If you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you? True riches. Look at the next verse. And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give property of your own? That's profound. 
What if you were the child of the richest man in the world? What if Bill Gates was your dad? And Bill Gates, I don't know, he's got $80 billion, I don't know. And, and you were his child. How, how, what, what would you do? Warren Buffett, I don't know. You just fill in the, the blank, whatever name. And your dad comes to you one day and he says, I want to give everything that I have ultimately to you. However, you're not going to inherit it immediately. In fact, I'm only going to give you a little bit now. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to evaluate your stewardship of it. And I'm going to watch your management of it. And as you manage it, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to increase it. Now, remember, my heart is ultimately to give you everything that I've got, but I can't do that because if I give you everything I've got right off bat, it'll destroy you because you won't learn the skills and the abilities. That's like, by the way, the person that wins the lottery, you know, it's like 99% they end up being broke. Why? They don't have the maturity to be able to handle $100 million. I know what some of y'all say, Pastor, I do, trust me. If God will just, whatever. That, whatever. Okay. But this is what Jesus is saying right here. Jesus is saying, how you, I didn't say this, Jesus said it. How you handle money, listen, how you handle money is a determining factor of actually your spiritual maturity. That's in the Bible. It, de it also determines how much God can pour out his blessing in your life. That's in the scripture. It is not a small thing to just be lax in this area. It is a very important thing, according to Jesus, all right? Let me give you number three. Money is a tool. It's a tool. Money's a tool. Now, money is an instrument to be used. You say, well, what do you mean money's a tool? Doesn't the scripture say, this is important. Some of you grew up and you heard this scripture misquoted. Some of you may think, well, isn't money, money like the, the, the root of all evil? No, it's not. No, it's not. Money's amoral. It's neither good nor bad. It's only good. Listen, if it's in the heart, in the hands of a, good, of a person that loves God, you can bless your family. You can help a whole bunch of people in generosity. But if it's in the heart and hands of a drug dealer or a wicked person, it can mess up. All so money's amoral. It's not money that's bad. I want everybody, does everybody understand that? Scripture doesn't teach that. Here's what the scripture teaches. Let's not misquote the Bible. But what does the Bible say? For the what? Say it, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. So it's not money. Money's not bad. Money's amoral. The issue here is the love of money. Where is your passion? It's interesting because Luke 16, Luke 16 gives us an insight into God's heart of how he wants us as believers in 2015, don't miss this, of how God wants us to treat money. Luke 16 is our relationship with money, according to the Bible, what God's heart is, all right? Watch Luke 16, 9. Very, very powerful. Here's what he says. I tell you, Jesus is talking. It's in red. He says, I tell you, I want everybody at the count of three to finish this with me. One, two, three. Use worldly wealth. Here's the deal. Jesus gives us what's called an exhortation in the scripture to use worldly wealth, grow worldly wealth, be wise stewards. God has no problem with us growing worldly wealth. But here's the problem. If you love money, you end up using people. God says, love me and love people. Listen, and use money. Do you understand how that gets flipped? Let me say it again. God says, love people and use money. Don't switch it where you love money because you'll end up using people. 
Does that make sense? Wow. This is so profound. Money is a tool to be used by God, to bless your family, to be able to help people and to be generous and, and to be able to help people all around the world, to be able to help people in need, expand God's purposes. So we're not to hoard it, we're not to worship it, but to, we're, we're to use it with godly intent. Let's look at this dishonest manager as I close up. Obviously, he's dishonest, but let's look at what the manager did right. There's a couple things he did right, all right? And Jesus commends him for this. Because I believe this is what God, I believe in 2015, all of us need to have a healthy relationship with money. What did the manager do right? Number one, he looked ahead. You want to write that down in your notes. He looked ahead. Look at verse three. He says, what shall I do now? He looked ahead. All right? He's thinking about the future. Most people never look ahead when it comes to their finances. They're living for today because that's our American culture. It's advertisement. They want it now. They want to do it today. Do whatever. There's very few people, by the way. I, I got a statistic. This is going to shock you. All right, here it is. In Europe, do you know what the, the average European saves based upon their paycheck? Here it is, 12% of their income. That, that's what the average European saves. Do you know what the average Japanese person saves in Japan? 25% of their income. Do you know what the savings rate for Americans last year, 2014, look it up. Here it is, negative 1%. We wonder why our government's in trouble. Are you with me? That, 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 that's the facts. That's where Americans are. So that's not good. No, no, no. A, a wise person biblically looks ahead. You got to remember what I'm saying here. The Bible encourages us to grow wealth over time in a mature way, but our heart is always connected to heaven. Just remember that so that we're generous, we help people. But here's the, here's the scripture. Here's the day of reckoning scripture. Here it is, Proverbs 14, 8. The wise man looks ahead. The wise woman looks ahead. We're going to plan, right? We're going to be efficient. We're going to look ahead. The fool attempts to fool himself and won't face the facts. I want to say this as a pastor in love, in the humility and the fear of the Lord. I wonder what facts you're not willing to face right now. Because some of you guys, your outflow is more than your inflow. And your margin is just, it's upside down. And you're stressed out, freaked out, burned out. And, and you're going to have to make some adjustments. We have to be willing to do this. To get our expenses under control, to get debt reduced, to begin to save for the future. Again, let me just say this. It's like the person says, I'll begin to save, I'll begin to give, I'll begin to do this when I, when I, you got to start today. Today's the day. Around here, we teach a principle. I've been teaching it for 15 years. I think it's a very good biblical principle. It's called the 10-10-80 rule. Can you say it with me? Say it's the what? The 10-10-80 rule. It's very important. The first 10%, I've taught this for 15 years, and a lot of great men, okay? And I didn't make it up, but I got it somewhere along, and I think it's very biblical, all right? God honoring. The first 10%, we pay God. That's our tithe. Boom, right off the bat. By the way, you look at men like J.C. Penney's, great men that were godly, spiritual entrepreneurs. They understood as kids. We don't wait. Teach our kids this. The first 10 cents, boom, off of a dollar goes to God. Teach your kid that. Just right off that, boom, remember your tithe. The first 10%, you pay God. The second 10%, you pay yourself by way of long-term investment and savings. That, that you, pay, you, you pay yourself. So you pay God, first 10%, you pay yourself, the second 10%, and then the 80% you live off. Now, again, some people give offerings above that, and some people will save more than 10%, but as a minimum, you ought to start with 10, 10, 80. Can we say it? Say it. 10, 10, 80. We, we ought to start with that. I am very grateful that I was trained 
My dad's always been a giver, and I was trained, though, by, by a, a businessman when I was in college, biblical economics and stewardship. Matter of fact, I was with him this Friday, and he taught me, he taught me the principle of, of, how to, of, of giving and tithing and over and above offerings. He taught me the principle of saving and investing and the law of use in Matthew 25, how, think, how, how when, you, when you use it and, and, and appropriately, how God wants you to grow it appropriately and, and, and this whole principle. And, and by the way, our church lives that way. First 10% uh, off of all general giving, boom, goes into what's called a tithe account that we give away. The second 10%, our, our, our ultimate goal is that we're saving 10%, so it's 10, 10, 8. So the church, so personally we ought to live by this way, and, and, and our church lives this, this way. So he looked ahead. Let me give this last one. Are you guys learning anything? It's gotten real quiet in this Presbyterian church. I just thought I should share that with you. And I love Presbyterians, okay? A lot of great Presbyterian preachers. So I'd be careful just saying that, but... He made a plan. The manager says in verse 4, I know what I'll do. Do you have a plan? Do you have a budget? A budget is simply planned spending. That's all it is. If you don't have a budget, you don't have a plan. You know what a budget is? A budget is telling your money where you want it to go rather than wondering where it went. You want me to say that again? That was kind of clever. <laughs> a budget is telling your money where you want it to go rather than waking up and wondering where it went. A budget is important. Proverbs 16, 9. We should make plans counting on God to direct us. That's, 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 that's a budget, a biblical budget. We're, we're making a budget, all right? So, so he had a plan. It was wise. He looked ahead. He was willing to face the facts. I know it's painful, but there's adjustments. And by the way, that's where Crown Financial comes in. You need to take Crown Financial. We have budget coaches that are loving people, that'll help you, that can teach you stewardship. All right, in our church, I'm talking about business people in our church. I can tell you where they've been and how God's helped them, getting a plan and living by all these principles. Let me give you the, four, the fourth and final thing here. One day, this is sober. It's exciting, but it's sober. One day, this in the parable, this is in the parable. One day, we'll give an account to God. All of us will. There's going to be an audit on our lives. How we use not just the money that we have, but the opportunities that we have, the talents, the abilities. And it really doesn't matter if you have a lot or a little. It's not the issue. The issue is not how much you have. The issue is what you're doing with what you have in every area of your life. Verse 2 says, give an account of your management. One day, our time on this earth is going to be over. It's going to be over. Now, whether or not you go to heaven is based upon your trust in the blood of Christ. I want everybody to hear this. If I go to heaven... It's based upon, have I trusted Christ as my Savior? That, that's, that's going to heaven, all right? But what I do in heaven forever, what you and I do in heaven forever, is based upon what we did with what God gave us in the here and now. That's very important that we understand that. And the goal, <clears throat> when we stand before the Lord, here's the goal. You guys ready? Here's the goal. Here's the words that we want to hear. Well done, thy good in what? Say it. Faithful. Not successful but faithful. Faithful what? Faithful to do what God's called you to do. Faithful with the things that God's given. Faithful with the opportunities. Faithful with the relationships. Faithful with the connection. Faithful with the talent that God's given you. Faithful what? Faithful with whatever God has entrusted to you. Because it wasn't yours, it was God, and he gave you a portion of his kingdom to steward. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your grace 
and your favor in our lives and uh, how much you love us. And help us as a people, as a church. Help us in 2015, God, to be faithful stewards. To be faithful, God, in our affections, in our hearts. Lord, help us to steward our heart. To be a manager of our heart. The Bible says in Proverbs 4.23, watch over your heart. It's the same word for steward there, to tend your heart. Watch over your heart, for out of it springs the issues of life. God, make us a faithful steward of our hearts, of our relationship with you, of our relationships with one another, of the resources you've given us, of the opportunities you've given us. And Lord, I know that as we steward it, you increase our influence. You enlarge us. Every time we pass a test, God, you promote us to another level of responsibility in your kingdom. God, we're grateful for that. Give us the grace to sustain that, Lord. Father, I pray for your people. If you do not know Christ in here, our altar is going to be open in just a moment. For anyone that doesn't know Jesus, you're not sure about your relationship with God, we're here for you as a church. Also, if you need prayer for any area in your life, up front we have trained workers who would love to pray. You can just come up right afterwards as the music plays. Father, bless your people. Teach us. Master, Father, teach us how to steward what you've given us. May in our hearts, may we walk in the fear of the Lord. May we honor you, God, in every part of our lives. May we live in the full measured blessing of the kingdom of God. We love you, Lord. And I bless your people, God. I bless them. I speak favor over your lives, over every man, woman, boy, and girl. As we endeavor to do your will, God, bless your people. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, come on, can we give the Lord a hand clap? Can we do that? We love you guys. You're amazing. We'll see you next week.